Hello, uh, I am Elisa Samaniego, and today I'll be talking to you guys about one of Charles Dickens' most iconic novels. Not A Christmas Carol, but a close second to that, Hard Times by Charles Dickens. <laughs> okay, so I hope you enjoyed that little musical introduction. I'm gonna jump straight into the novel. So, okay, I, I, it's really long, 300-something pages. The book was originally published as three separate volumes, and as you know, Mr. Dickens was paid by the word. So I'm going to try my best to condense this as much as I can. So, we are introduced to Mr. Gradgrind and Cecilia, also known as Sissy Jupe, at the very, very beginning of the novel. And this kind of opens up the, the overall theme of, I guess you could say... Uh, logic and intellectualism and how how the cold hard facts aren't always going to guide you in the best direction and I that's for me personally that's just the theme I kind of took away from a lot of the events throughout the story so you he, Mr. Gradgrind very early on is is characterized as a very cold calculating man who is who takes a lot of emphasis into what's logical, the cold hard facts, and he instills these values in his own children. And he's very proud of that. He's not unaffectionate towards them, it's just that he he believes this is right, he believes this is a solid, stable way of bringing them up, and so that's what he does. And so, after... Uh, so we, we are introduced to his two oldest children, Louisa, his oldest daughter, and Tom, his oldest son. They get caught, they're kids, they get caught going to the circus, and he gets angry, and Louisa takes the blame. But um, they, they describe her eyes as having a light in them that is miraculous, that is just miraculously still alive. This is a way to describe how she is devoid of, of kind of that, that, that childlike spark, that imagination, that vibrancy, just because, you know, with Mr. Gradgrind's parenting style, it doesn't really, it's not really conducive to that. Now, Tom, on the other hand, isn't characterized in the same way as Louisa, but his issues stemming from Mr. Gradgrind's parenting definitely stem late, stem up, like, they pop up later on in the story, where, um, and when Tom, as an adult, he starts to lean more towards certain vices, especially gambling, and that debt gets him into a lot of trouble. So, okay, that whole mess get, blows over. We meet Josiah Bounderby, which, okay, this is a man whose whole personality is based on the fact that he, you know, is a self-made man. I I clawed my way up from poverty. My mother left me on the streets, and I I earned every single ounce of fortune I have. Which, I you could say that to an extent, but... Charles Dickens reveals later on that everything isn't what it seems. Um, chapter 16, Josiah Bounderby and Louisa get married, and Louisa does not love him. The readers know this, but no one else does. She does not love him. She marries Josiah Bounderby because she knows her brother Tom is in an extreme amount of debt, and she hopes that the money she gets from that marriage will help her brother out. And on top of that, she understands that if she marries Mr. Bounderby, it makes her father happy. And she, Louisa, th this is one of those instances where she doesn't understand what she truly wants and what would give her emotional fulfillment, but she chooses to prioritize her brother and her father anyway and just and puts her needs aside for the moment. Um, 
Oh, and okay, so that that whole storyline's going on. On the side, there's this character named Stephen Blackpool, who's a worker at one of Mr. Bounderby's factories, and he is kind of like a secondary plot in this whole story. He is a factory worker stuck in an abusive marriage and is in love with this woman who also works at the factory. Her name is Rachel, but he can't afford to leave his wife. He can barely afford to feed himself, let alone, you know, leave and actually marry Rachel. And so, but he's also one of Mr. Bounderby's favorite employees. Uh, later on in the story around chapter 12, chapter chapter 13, Mr. Blackpool uh, gets fired by Mr. Bounderby because of his in of his involvement with the union. And so Mr. Blackpool is just, you know, wandering around looking for a job. He's at a dead end. He's really struggling. So, oh, and uh, around the same time, uh, as he's looking for help, he got Mr. Bounderby. No, 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 not Mr. Bounderby. Blackpool got stuck at the wrong place at the wrong time because Tom ends up stealing from the bank. Mr. Bounderby's bank to pay off his debts and because of that Louisa knows that Mr. Blackpool is innocent and she knows that her brother stole and so we're stuck in this dilemma where Mr. Bounderby's in a rage he takes it out on Louisa on everything um there there's a whole manhunt for Stephen Blackpool who later on dies in a mine shaft I mean his his name is eventually cleared, which is good, but he does pass away due to complications. Um, Louisa eventually confronts her father, and this is and she just tells him, "This is the life that we have right now, and all of this stems from the upbringing that you gave us. I don't. I am stuck in a loveless marriage because I care about Tom and I wanted to make you happy, but I don't know what gives me emotional fulfillment. Is is just the general gist of what she says to her father. And that is a moment where Mr. Gradgrind kind of he has this epiphany and is like, oh wow, this is what I did to my kids and I and he wants to make it right. Um I'm jump cutting to the very end of the story. Mr. Bounderby and Louisa eventually split up and Louisa just stays with her family for the rest of her life. She grows old and essentially becomes like a grandmotherly figure to um, her youngest sister's children, to Sissy's children, um, and Tom, he never gets, they, re they find out he's guilty, but he never gets physically caught. He escapes England and dies in the Caribbean, um, and he didn't leave his sister on the best of terms, and he dies wishing that he apologized to her and got to hold her one more time. And Thomas Gradgrind, uh, he does a full 180 and just, he decides to dedicate his life and his wealth and his endeavors to, to honorable things like, you know, libraries and education and really institutions and places that help nurture the creativity and the imagination. So I'd really love to talk about my favorite literary devices that Charles Dickens used throughout hard times. And I'd say the most important ones would have to be the foil characters, as seen between the interactions of Sissy Jupe and Louise Gradgrind, as well as, I guess you could say, symbolism slash satire demonstrated by Mr. Bounderby's character. Starting with the foil characters, it's very obvious from, from the very beginning of the story that Louise and Sissy come from drastically different upbringings. And 
they, um, they get along very well as characters, but they both emulate very different philosophies. Sissy, with her father having been a, a huge part of the circus and was a circus clown, her whole life has been spent surrounded by, you know, entertainment and emotional highs and lows and finding happiness and laughter and an overactive imagination and all of these were deemed as good things these were things that she was taught to embrace and she, as a result of that she has a very good grasp of how she feels and what her emotions mean to her alternatively louise is the exact opposite or she was raised to only calculate the cold hard facts and use those facts to navigate her life rather than her personal emotions and because of that she struggles with making decisions for herself now this is my favorite going on to mr bounderby i would definitely say he's supposed to provide a satirical take on the upper class for the readers you know with their heightened sense of self and constantly flaunting his wealth but to dig deeper i think that he's also supposed to be a piece of symbolism for what society was like during charles dickens's time and how upward mobility is simply a false dream we find out as readers later on that mr bounderby wasn't just abandoned by his mother on the streets he was also adopted by two very wealthy but also very loving people that raised him and all of his wealth and prosperity stems from these two parents and so it really emphasizes the fact that upward mobility during a time like this is one near next to impossible and two simply too good to be true now that's all the time i've got for today but thank you for listening to my commentary on hard times